Well, who said, after all, one can't complain, I have my friends. Probably not on the tip of your tongue, right? You don't know that trivia question. Well, it was actually, surprisingly, the depressed donkey Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh fame. He's the one who said, after all, one can't complain, I have my friends. Today we're going to discover how to find comfort through human companionship and actually complaining to God. However, this is more than a shoulder to cry on story. We're diving into the book of Job. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Job chapter 2. And uh, Job was one of the most successful people on the planet. Think Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or uh, maybe think of, of Bill Gates. That's who Job was in his day. Job was probably in the second half of life since we know that his children were grown. But as Bob Buford says, life in the second half is disordered, surprisingly and only occasionally as you plan it. And maybe you north of 40 or 50 can attest to that. There's lots of curveballs that are thrown your way. This was certainly the case with Job. He lost almost everything in one day. Everything in one day. This is more than a stock market crash, uh, a loss of all of his retirement savings. Job lost almost everything in one day. His donkey and oxen were stolen by raiders while killing all his employees. This was an unprovoked invasion. His 7,000 sheep and their shepherds were all barbecued by fire from heaven. We read in chapter 1, or chapter 2, I should say. And then all of his camels were stolen, and camels were really akin to the transport trucks of, of the desert. And then what really was the worst of the day was Job's 10 adult children, seven sons and three daughters, were all killed when a powerful wind came and collapsed the house that they were all having a festival or party in. And all that happened in one day. But it got worse. Job was then infected by these horrible boils on his body. And that man, if he were a Jew, which he wasn't, he wasn't going to be able to worship in the temple. And yet, Job did worship. He did worship. Like Jesus, Job suffered the stigma of sin when he was innocent, and yet Job still worshiped. That didn't mean he didn't suffer. If you've ever been in pain, you know that health issues, when you're sick, all of a sudden you get really focused, don't you? You focus on yourself, you focus on your body. We, we tend to ignore our bodies until they cry out to us. Job's body was crying out due to the pain that Satan had caused. So what happens next? Well, the story leaves the, the heavenly council and enters the council of humans as the three of Job's friends come to sympathize with him. Job is the leading person in his own country, was essentially an international figure before YouTube fame. His three friends come from three different countries or at least regions to comfort Job. And Job's friends are Eliphaz, who was probably a descendant of Esau's grandson Teman, Bildad, who would remind readers of Bilhan, a descendant of Esau, and Zophar, who may have been one of Esau's grandsons. These were Job's friends and counselors, if we could put it that way. 
We're going to learn that complaining to our friends, whether in person or on social media, is not the ultimate solution to our problems. They can't fix most of our suffering. Human interaction and counseling may help, but our first conversation has to be to God. And this goes all the way back to the theme of, of Job, where God is the one who's ultimately on trial. It's God who suffers attack, and so do we. But it begs the question, will we love God even when we can't see his goodness? Will we love God for God's sake? Will we just love him because of who he is? So far in the story, despite all the loss, Job is doing the opposite of what Satan predicted. Instead of suffering the humiliation of, by God of, of losing his, his one of his choice servants and they, they actually curse God, Job blesses God in a costly and deeply and painful way. So let's read uh, from Job chapter 2, starting in verse 11 and going through the end of the chapter to discover the lessons on how to comfort others. And, and Job is a book of wisdom, and we have lots of lessons we're going to learn through this whole book. So would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word from Job chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Nathamite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance and they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those who curse it, who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark and let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves. Or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? 
Why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God is hedged in? For my sign comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. May God add understanding to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Last Sunday night on the CBS News show, 60 Minutes, it was reported that many U.S. intelligent officials are suffering from a brain injury that causes horrible imbalance and headaches. It's thought to be a foreign enemy, possibly the Russians, shooting targeted microwaves at these officials. And the disease is now have a name to it. It's called the Savannah Syndrome. And like what's happening on earth is also happening in heaven. From Job, we know that there's a hostile and invisible actor in the heavenly council who attacked Job, and God got the blame for it. And that actor, Satan, still tries to attack us as God's children. He's behind much of our suffering. I want to declare that today. It's not the government. It's not the health officials. It's not another country that's primarily behind all of the suffering in the world. These are just Satan's pawns. Yes, they're still responsible. But let's remember the enemy of our souls and the enemy of this world. Yeah, we don't see all of the suffering, do we? We only, we only see... Um, we don't see Satan, we only see the suffering, don't we? We only see the effects of Satan, what he does in our lives. Job 2, 11 through 13, tells us what we should do. Job's friends came to help out. And look again what it says in verse 11 of chapter 2. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite, they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. Just pause there for a moment. Have you ever gone to visit somebody who has cancer? You haven't seen them for a long time? And they, you, you don't even hardly recognize them, right? They're so emaciated. This is essentially what Job's friends feel when they, they come across Job for seeing him for the first time. And so what did they do? And look, look what it says in verse 12. They raised their voices and wept, and they, they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven, and they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Job's friends cried out to God, but said nothing to Job. They sat with him. I recall one of my professors at Moody Bible Institute. His desire was to care for and reach First Nations people. And he went to a native man's house one day, and this native man was sitting on the porch, and so uh, my professor just went up and, and sat beside him. Didn't say a word. In fact, he, he sat with him silently for hours 
and hours. Finally, the First Nations man said, you're not the typical white man who loves to talk. If I recall correctly, my professor eventually led him to the Lord. Sometimes we just need to sit with people. I've been in a hospital waiting room with a family after a tragedy, and, and I'm just at a loss for words. It's really difficult. But being present with people is the greatest present or gift you can give somebody in their time of tragedy. In the ancient Near East, the custom was to allow the grieving person to speak first. The, the friends get high marks because often the successful are, are brushed off like yesterday's dandruff, right? When they lose their, their power and their money. Job's friends didn't. They didn't reject him. The most pious man on earth was now the most wretched. And they stuck with him. Let's remember, while individuals may suffer, the family and community can never just passively overlook somebody who's just suffering. The shame and social stigma when someone suffers forces friends to act in loyalty or betrayal. When you see somebody suffering and you just ignore it, that could be a betrayal. Which of one will be for us when our friends are suffering? Loyalty or betrayal? Will we run away or will we run to the mess? It's so easy to run away because I'm like, you guys, you're so busy. You can't get entangled with this. But as Christians, we need to run to the mess like the Fords are doing right now as they head to the refugees from Ukraine. Eric Ortland, a former professor at Briarcrest College where Aaron A. Smith did his undergrad, says it this way. The temptation to blame the victim is as sneaky as it is constant. And it is very wise of the author of Job to put this issue before us so persistently as we read. Surely we've all met modern day Job's to put this issue to rest. Christians who mean well, some who have good theology like Eli. Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, but they, they have an answer for everything. Who are suspiciously quick to tell everyone what they should be doing when their lives don't go well. And who are quick to blame others when their advice isn't gratefully received. Perhaps you and I have played that role ourselves. It's shockingly easy to do. And this is because in blaming the modern day Job, we shore up our sense of co a coherent world where everyone gets what they deserve quickly and obviously, we suddenly comfort ourselves into thinking that we will never suffer that way because we haven't committed whatever mistake our Christian brother or sister supposedly did. On the other hand, Orland says, if we sit with someone quietly and sympathetically in their pain without blaming or instructing them, only waiting with them for God to draw near, we will also see the possibility that next time it will be us who come into church as it were, dressed in sackcloth and ashes, suffering openly, unable to hide it, and not knowing why. That is to say, the least, uncomfortable. But the book of Job continually presses on upon us the importance of wise friendship with modern-day Jobs. Perhaps the first step in such friendship involves not saying much at all. Comforters pray and stay silent. 
Comforters pray and stay silent. This is the first lesson in finding comfort. Comforters need to talk to God, but not to the grieving. This is especially true when we come upon our friends immediately after they have a traumatic experience. We should just say nothing. Just go be with them. Later on in the grieving process is a time for words. But just go be with them. This is why we comforters should pray and stay silent. So maybe this week you need to go and be with that loved one who lost somebody. Lost a job. They lost something else. Pray and stay silent. Your presence is powerful. But what about the grieving? Maybe today you're not the comforter, but you came in here and you're the one who needs to be comforted. You're suffering. How should we respond? Well, this text really teaches us that we should give voice to our pain. Let me say that directly. Sufferers, give voice to your pain. Are you in pain? Cry out to God. Tell him how you're feeling. Now there's nothing wrong with taking an aspirin or anti-inflammatory on occasion. But that should not be our MO. Our first, our first go-to should be to our advocate Jesus Christ. Someone wrote to into Moody Bible Institute asking Professor Dr. Rosalie Desarose this question. Is there a right way for Christians to handle physical pain? The, the uh, questioner asked this. I've known some tough old birds in my life who've dealt, dealt with a lot of pain on a daily basis and never knuckled under. Can this be explained biblically? Well, Dr. Dave Rosé responded this way. Different generations have different perspectives on physical pain. In fact, if we were to survey all of you today, you'd be like, you know what, I can handle this. It's like, remember, the, you go to the doctor and they say, rated on a scale of 1 to 10, where's your pain? And that's a very subjective rating, isn't it? He said, she goes on to say, they didn't want to appear weak in any way, the, the previous generations. They wanted to downplay pain. But our bodies are unique and people tolerate pain differently based on age and fitness and gender and childhood trauma and our immune system and, and so many other reasons. And the Bible does, not, does contain stories of people who suffered physical and mental anguish. And the book of Job, um, for example, explores the pain of one single individual. In many ways, Job's life ground to a halt as he struggled with and questioned his pain and suffering. It's clear that Job did not power through as though nothing was happening. Healthcare workers tell us that pain can be your body's way of crying out, help me, right? Maybe you woke up and you heard some help me today. The body keeps score. God designed our bodies perfectly and it can be dangerous to ignore and dismiss these warning signs. We can also turn to God, the great physician who knows us intimately, gives us strength to endure life's trials and is able to heal if he so chooses. You see this, grief comes from grieving our losses, not just enduring them. This is what Job did. He lamented. He cried out to God. Job is trying to, to recover his, what he thinks is he's lost his relationship with God. Like, God, I, I thought I'd been serving you, and, and where are you? I'm just in great pain. And maybe you walked in here today and you feel that same way. 
Job's anxiety is not because of his foul skin disease, nor because he even fears that he soon may be dead, but rather because he's experiencing a shaking of the foundations of the cosmic moral order that he believed in. Job's faith was rocked. His sense of injustice causes him to wish he was never born. Look at what it says here. Verses three, uh, look at chapter three, verses one through five. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish in which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it and let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. In other words, better death than a wretched life and everlasting rest than chronic illness. Job does not hope that death will rectify the injustice of his undeserved sufferings. Job didn't see judgment as, as postponed into the afterlife. He felt the judgment of God now, even though God wasn't judging him. Remember, it was Satan all along causing Job's suffering. We may fall into the same trap of thinking that all of our suffering is what we deserve. Sometimes, yes, we choose to sin and thus choose to suffer. But sometimes we just suffer. And maybe today that's it. You're just suffering because you live in a fallen world. Sometimes people forget our birthdays. It's my birthday this week. Thanks for all the well wishes. In Job's case, he... He thinks God, he wishes God would have forgot his birthday. His language is fierce, isn't it? And yet we know that it really, it has no teeth to it. Unless you're George Bailey in the fictional movie called It's a Wonderful Life, you can't be unborn, right? Job is not suicidal at this moment. He just wishes he was never born. What you and I can do when we feel these horrible sufferings is lament. We can go to the Lord God. When we suffer, we can give voice to our pain. Lament allows for a fuller sense of hope. Lament is a sharp uh, a call of alarm to God who stands ready for his children. Daddy, help! Is what he hears. Lament, lamenters are not these powerful figures who feel like they can fix everything in life. They're ones who come and say, God, I can't fix it. I don't understand. I need you. They're turning to the only one who really has their back. They're never lying on their bed, scheming of various ways to retaliate. Their darkest pain is poured out to God, not angels, idols, lawyers, or powerful spirits. And this is what Job does. He does not deny or dilute the pain that he feels, but rather he expresses it, expresses it honestly. And we need to do so too. Comforters, pray and stay silent. Sufferers, give voice to your pain. But the greater problem is, maybe some of you experience this, is that when God is silent, it's so destabilizing. It's so unnerving. Maybe some of you listening online or here today have stopped communicating to God and 
and to each other. That pain is just too great and you've just about given up. Well, today, that can change if you're ready. One of the words in the Bible to describe prayer is to really to turn your face to God. The hard part is when you don't feel like he's turned his face to you, when he's hidden. What should we do? Lament. Cry out to God. Lament is the language of suffering, the voicing of suffering. Lament is continuing to relate to God. Labor disputes only make progress when both parties come to the table and they share their concerns with one another. God wants us to come to the table. Not to make a bargain with him, but to bellyache to him. Yes, you can bellyache to God so we can trust him with our problem. And that is an act of faith. You're not turning to other people. You are turning to God with your concern, your problem. Because God's got his hands on us. Otherwise, we might just dismiss God and say, well, never mind. When we express our grief, our grief, it actually becomes a gift to another person because we trust people with what's really going on within our hearts. And yes, God already knows, but he wants us to express it anyways. Friends, we need such emotion. It's not unmanly. Lament are not weak, weak prayers. They are Lieutenant Dan's wrestling with God at the top of the crow's nest in the midst of a storm, like in the movie Forrest Grump. We all suffer to varying degrees at various times. So what will we do with our suffering? What are you doing with your suffering right now? Are you just trying to bear it? There's going to come a day when it's unbearable. Will you run away from suffering? The sad truth is sometimes we just can't run that far. Will we bury it? Suffering just has a, a tendency to resurface, doesn't it? It feels like the only relief is death. Job feels isolated from his community as he sits in that ash heap, but he regards death as the great social leveler. leveler. Look at verses 13 through 17. He describes all these, these people, kings and counselors and, and princes and the weary and the prisoners and guards. They're all going to die. And, and verse 19 summarizes it best. The small and the great are there, meaning the there meaning the grave. Finally, there's some relief, Job's saying. In the meantime, we all suffer. None of us live a completely charmed life. God clearly values tears more than we do in response to our cries. And this should, pardon the pun, trickle down to other relationships. Author Gerald Peterman asked this question. Are tearful whispers between friends in secluded church bathrooms really adequate to address our seasons of suffering? Are small groups the only place left to acknowledge pain and fear? There might be someone sitting beside you who's angry with an absent God. Absent God. Or who just had another miscarriage. Or who just found out about their spouse's affair. Or who just lost a parent to cancer or COVID. Or who was raped in college. Or who's diagnosed with clinical depression. Whose teen attempted suicide. 
whose little sister or brother struggles with a food disorder, whose business just went under, or whose sibling returned to alcohol rehab. And even if we don't want to bottle, even if we want to bottle up from others, maybe the first step is uncorking, uncorking that bottle with God. You see, comforters stay silent, and sufferers give voice to your pain. But God sees and hears them both. God sees and hears you. That's the third lesson in finding comfort. God sees and hears both. How do we know this? We'll look at Job 3, 4. Going back there, so we, 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 we almost can skip over this. Look what it says. God's name is mentioned. May God above not seek it. Then IV says, may God not care about it. Job was right that God is above. He and the divine counselor are watching from the balcony in the theater of Job's life as we the readers have the seats on the main floor. But Job was also wrong. Job was wrong because God does care about it. God cares so much that he put Job's lament in his word, the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 we read, says, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training up in righteousness. God saw his friends and he heard them both. Putting Job 3 in scripture shows that God does not edit the cries of his people, allowing only certain cries to get through. He does not tell us to shush and stop our crying. He does not tell us to suck it up, buttercup. Instead, he tells us to vent our emotion to him. Protesting to God is our most productive act of freedom. It's an act of faith. And it doesn't end run around any leader in our lives by giving our complaint to their ultimate boss. Are you having struggles? Thinking about Prime Minister Trudeau, or Premier Ford, or President Putin in Russia. Register your complaint with God. Talk to him about this. Only God can turn your pain into praise. Without pain, praise is thin and half-hearted, as one says. But without praise, the pain seems fatal and unbearable. Therefore, there's nothing too small to lament to God. As Winnie the Pooh says, sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in your heart. Because the good news is God wants to declutter that room today. Cast your cares on God for he what? He cares for you. It's an act of praise. The great promise of the lament is that God's distance is always temporary. He always returns to the believer and reactivates his activity on us. He comes back to us. We can know this best because God sees and hears us. And we know this because he sent his son Jesus. Jesus left the balcony of heaven and came to earth. In Luke 9, 22, Jesus predicted he would suffer many things. Those many things include losing family through rejection. They included badgering by religious officials, the government of the day. They included betrayal and denial of knowing him. They included beating and mocking and a tortures and a death on a cross. Jesus went through all of that. And yet he also cried out on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Surprisingly, God stayed when Jesus gave his voice to his pain. God was still there. 
So Jesus would end up actually dying on that cross and paying a price for our sins. Lament is true faith that holds to the Lord during good and bad times, recognizing that he's sovereign over all of life experiences. So today, turn to God in faith. Let's both listen and lament right now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And um, as they're coming up, let's just give a little voice to maybe some pain that we're going on. And let's pray and and finish this prayer, which says, God, I'm suffering because... God, we're suffering because. God, we're suffering because of the war that we're hearing and the great effect on our hearts for our brothers and sisters in Eastern Europe. Anybody else? Mm -hmm. Some will not know a Savior, yes. That are dying. Any others? God, we're suffering because innocent people are being um, tormented and killed. Mm. Innocent people are being tormented and killed. One more. Mm. Mm-hmm. And God, we're suffering because we're divided, especially as a country. So Lord, we pray these things. We come to you. We turn to you. We're the, we know that, acknowledge today, that you're the only one who can help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.